So welcome to the SNL podcast for the first week of October. I'm Rich Tackenberg, your host. And before we get into it and we bring Mike into the conversation, I want to sort of take a second before we get to comedy like this episode, just take a step back and talk a minute about where SNL is in the world sort of in a larger way. And I promise you this is not political. This has nothing to do. I'm going to literally I'm in tunnel vision mode because we are all here specifically to be in tunnel vision mode and only talk about SNL right now. Um, but it's interesting how SNL has you know changed over time and it evolved. And we talked a little bit last week about how one of the things that I actually love about SNL is in a way it has remained timeless and it really hasn't changed. But an area that's an exception is response to current events, because in the first, let's call it 30 something years of SNL, there was rarely, if ever, a, a, a not funny current event that was of such magnitude that the show had to actually uh, or chose to make a not funny comment about it and and actually start the show with a very serious and obviously legendary, uh, you know, moment was, you know, post 9-11 uh, when we when we talked about it, obviously New York uh, being the, you know, a character of Saturday Night Live. It was such an important part. And now we're in this interesting time where, you know, these events are happening at a faster and faster pace. And so more and more often we're sort of starting SNL not on a laugh, but with a sort of moment of, of tribute. And I'm taking out the politics aside. I'm taking out my feelings, how I felt Monday morning when I read the news about things that had happened in the world aside. And just talking about the show, I think we're falling into a weird trap. I think that SNL has to really watch as much as I love what it is. It's a comedy show, um, but I don't need it to be the the morale of the country. And the, the there's something about sort of a place in time. And I don't know about you, but I'm just going to say this very honestly. When when crazy events in the world have happened on Thursdays and Fridays, Saturday before the show, from a production standpoint, putting aside the the opinions and the feelings and the thoughts of the cast, I want that sort of palate cleanser of like, let's acknowledge this, let's take a breath and let's start the show. But when something happens on a Sunday night and it's now six nights later and we start with a very touching uh, tribute from Jason Aldean, in my head, I will be honest, what I'm thinking is, oh, I wanted to escape from that. I spent the whole week immersed in arguing and talking and reading and, and disproving and debating and I get to Saturday Night Live and I just want dumb jokes. I just want to laugh and I want to take a break. And so uh, there's no good answer here. And I'm not saying that I know better than SNL, but I think SNL has to watch, uh, you know, where they sort of feel like they're obligated to and what they feel like their responsibility is. And because I think sometimes the responsibility of SNL is to sort of take a break from the craziness of the world and let us just sort of laugh and relax. And so, um, you know, and so this cold open, I would say, and I'm going to bring Mike in in a second. But I just want to say taking out uh, the opinions of the personal events and how much sort of warmth and love I have for Jason Aldean, who I knew almost nothing about seven days ago. This was awkward for me. This was a weird, you know, it's a musician playing music with a band in front of a band. The Saturday Night Live band was sitting there doing nothing. Uh, the musical guest was in the house and was not a part of it. Um, and then they were singing a song that I, I don't know anything about Jason Aldean. I'm sure he He's wonderful. Didn't seem to be the right key or tone for him. Uh, so uh, 
it, it was, I was just waiting for it to be over. And I don't think that's what SNL was going for. I don't think that's what SNL wants to be. And I, I certainly am not throwing stones at SNL or God forbid Jason Aldean, but I would just say, I want us as a, as the SNL, uh, you know, community to sort of keep in mind what we're here for. And that's for comedy. So I'm going to say that I'm going to, hopefully there will not be another event in, in many a year that we don't have to sort of do this again. I hope that, uh, if it does happen, we figure out a better way to sort of have these moments and then move on and get to the comedy. And with that said, it's time to take a break from the world and talk about comedy and talk about what worked and didn't work on last night's SNL. This is the SNL Recap Podcast. As I said, I'm your host, Rich Tackenberg. And joining me as always, my co-host, my partner in crime, not a lesbian, but still someone who I have great feelings for, Mr. Mike Bloom. Hello, Mike. Cool. Okay. I mean, that's the only response I can give to uh, Rich's reign to start it off. I I do think you made uh, a lot of good points. I do just want to pick up one thing in particular in terms of the song that Jason Aldean picked. Not only did he go with uh, the apt won't back down from the now late Tom Petty, uh, but some really interesting dynamics. If you know the story going on with the musical guest, Sam Smith, who I believe got a bit of a legal brouhaha with Tom Petty's estate a couple years ago due to the fact that one of his songs might have lifted a melody from won't back down. So there's a lot of, you know, meta drama going on there, but we can move on from the cold open and we can get to comedy. I'm going to put comedy in, in loose quotations here, though, Rich, because yes. uh, I'm, I'm sure hashing this out with you will bring out some of the more positive aspects. But I, I'll be completely honest. I do not think this was a good episode of Saturday Night Live last night. I'm going to be more positive than you in a qualified way. And you guys know if I if I if I smell if if I have a problem with it, I'm going to tell you about it. I would say I found this episode to be very fun and I mean that in a good way, but I didn't find it to be particularly funny. I think that, uh, you know, Gal Gadot, as we said at the, at the end of last podcast, was sort of walking in before we even knew that there was going to be a national tragedy, was walking into sort of a tough situation because she hasn't done this before. Um, and uh, and the and and there were and we'll get to them. There were a lot of sketches, Mike. You tell me what you thought. There was a lot of sketches where not only was I not laughing, but I was already also like, I don't know that I could boil the premise of this sketch down into mm-hmm. a sentence or two because I'm actually a little lost at what even the premise was. And then within that, there was some funny. But there was a couple of times I found myself sort of even reaching to figure out what the whole goal of the sketch was. There'll be a couple of sketches where we'll definitely talk about this idea, you know, when you go back to the improv and sketch basics about this idea of crazy town where, you know, your basic comedic structure for a scene should ideally be you got a straight man, you got a crazy man. The crazy man perpetuates this weird game, this weird thing that's going on in the scene. The straight man responds to it. Also, as a note, you mentioned that this is Gal Gadot's or Gadot. I, I don't know how Daryl no pronounced yeah. it. Um, I'm The theater fan in me wants to say Gadot, but that's besides the point. Uh, but we talked last week about how Ryan Gosling in between his two times hosting SNL sort of made the shift from you could tell if someone's more comfortable hosting SNL, they'll play a lot more of the crazy man side of the sketch. Whereas Gal Gadot, for the most part, I I can't think of one instance even off the top of my head where she wasn't the straight man in the sketch where she wasn't someone with some sort of accent responding to the action that's going on. I I think she did a serviceable job, but I would agree. These all felt 
very silly, but they almost felt silly just for the sake of being silly. And that there are some sketches that are silly, but are rooted in some sort of base premise. There will be a bunch of these, and I'm sure we're going to talk about where there was just a lot of silliness going on. And I'm sure it elicited some funny lines. But at the end of the day, like you said, I'm not entirely sure I wouldn't say what the point of it was, because, again, this is late night comedy doesn't necessarily need to have a point. But, you know, if you could summarize that sketch in one sentence, it's more of a difficult task to do this week than maybe it has been in previous weeks. Yeah. Well, let's let's jump in. And I think we'll sort of dissect a lot of that. I'd say starting with the cold open. And again, here's a talk about a rough situation. So Gal is not only never hosted before, she's not a live theater or a comedy person. She also doesn't have the audience warmed up by a Donald Trump cold open. She's really coming at this from in a real deficit. She's she's got a very somber crowd uh, to sort of uh, go to. And I would say uh, other than uh, I look very pretty for me I, I i felt like her hair was wet the whole time and i didn't understand what was going on there i know nothing about fashion so ping that on me um i thought this was a high point of the show i don't know that i would have thought that at the time uh but i thought she did a very nice job here in a very silly way well i we have to give it credit here and that is it is a non-conventional sketch and you bring this up all the time uh we didn't go to the audience for questions we didn't bring out you know both of us had guessed at least one celebrity cameo this week that i know did not happen whatsoever which was a little surprising to me but we have the she didn't sing a song but we have this moment where these sort of uh two two parts of the monologue where first she's talking to the camera saying this is going to be broadcast for the first time in her home country of israel uh, and she talks directly to Uh, any sort of Israeli audience and there's a nice little subtitle joke about how they don't understand the writers don't understand what Israel is they're making having me eat hummus in every I love that I thought that was a great a weird specific that I absolutely loved I thought that was really fun yeah I thought that was a really good joke and then they bring out Leslie Jones uh, as the surprisingly it's one of these rare things where sometimes you bring out cast members as characters sometimes you bring out cast members as themselves i thought initially when she said that so many people were so inspired by wonder woman i thought that leslie was going to be herself as wonder woman but it turns out that she was the Times square wonder woman i do wonder maybe some of our non-new york listeners out there uh, could tune in into the comments to let us know I feel like SNL sometimes with these like New York specific jokes, uh, it's catering to a very specific crowd. You and I both have experience in New York, Rich. I think we understood what it meant when she said the Times Square Wonder Woman. But I do wonder if there are people out there who didn't necessarily get it. And so they didn't really understand the second part. But for what it was, I thought the rapport back and forth was good. I thought Leslie Jones rocks that Wonder Woman outfit, by the way. I think she's she looking looked great. great. Yeah. Yeah. But overall, I would yeah. say this. I would agree that I'd say this and like the next couple sketches for me were probably the apex of the evening. Yeah, I was at how much when Leslie Jones came out dressed as Wonder Woman and said, uh, you know, I'm the not playing Leslie Jones. I was so relieved. I was like, oh, if this is just Leslie Jones as Wonder Woman, I can write the sketch in my head in 30 seconds. So -hmm. the fact that she was Times Square and we have out here the Hollywood and Highland in Los Angeles, we have the Hollywood and Highland Wonder Woman, which is the same thing, uh, you know, was such a nice break, at least of like, okay, yes, the joke started to become a little bit cliche and we sort of got where they were going. It was for me, though, refreshing. uh, And I love their energy together. I thought they were Mm. wonderful and they had they had really nice energy together 
And we should also mention Leslie Jones was one of the few cast members. I threw in Kyle Mooney and Beck Bennett as well last week, who really did not get um, an, a surprising amount of screen time in the season opener. Uh, we're going to get all three of those in spades this week. The, you know, things seem to balance each other out at the end of the day. And we see it firsthand here with Leslie being the only cast member to make an appearance in the monologue. Yeah. So we come out of the monologue. We go to a pre-tape. Uh, we're going to see the E! New Fall lineup, uh, which uh, is basically just a lot of Kendall Jenner. The idea that E! is really banking on the Kardashian Jenner Kanye family. Uh, and I, I think this is where I would specifically place, uh, you know, and there's and there's a lot of little pieces within this uh, to sort of uh, bolster it. Uh, this for me was absolutely fun, not funny. I am not a huge Kendra General Jenner fan. I get the rap on it. Apparently, according to this sketch, she's very stupid and self-absorbed. I think that was a very clearly the premise of the sketch. Uh, and I was just in general like, you know, OK, um, didn't, uh, you know, not something that I'm going to remember uh, even tomorrow afternoon. Yeah, I like these types of sketches because it's essentially I'm assuming the writers coming up with just like throwing random titles at the wall and it allows them to actually bring these titles to life and not feel like they need to flesh them out. And so I was really liking in particular the pacing of this, uh, in particular with the order that the shows appeared in between, you know, down home with Gwen and Blake going to where's Kanye going to background actors of Riverdale going to powerful sluts of Miami. Then I feel like this is me getting meticulous, a little bit of a de-escalation when we get into Nini Lake Nini leaks in I hate that i feel like in this type of situation you want to get more and more ridiculous i feel like we were getting there with powerful sluts of miami of like they're twins they're doctors and you know they're all about it uh i feel like if they kept going in that direction it would have been even funnier and i can understand needing to go back to this kendall jenner thing considering that gal is the host so you want to feature her as much as possible but i feel like it kind of threw off the groove a little bit uh again it's, it's sort of like a de-escalation where if we keep revisiting this same show over and over again but like you said uh, more fun than funny yeah. And I would say to that point, too, I, I you know, the, I, the, ironically, the things that made me giggle the most were the non Kendall Jenner part. I love the specificity of background extras of Riverdale. I yeah. thought that was the specificity was beautiful. And uh, we'll give it up for Melissa Vias and you're getting some screen time, uh, you know, as uh, as part and Luke Nell as Blake Shelton, uh, you know, and Gwen Stefani. Again, not hilarious, but very fun. Uh, I thought of our friend Johnny DeSavera, uh seeing, uh, you know, Melissa get a little bit of screen time uh i thought that was fun and then the little chris rudd run where he got to be kanye hiding from the camera i wanted to see that escalate more and get more silly but i did think that was also cute so some nice little nuggets within there or even bring the kanye character in to like one moment of the where's kendall show i think that yes. could be just a nice little thing you could use to tie things together again it's, it's a small thing but i feel like that could have been a fun way since again this is the uh, the the Kardashian uh, cinematic universe in a way. I feel like that would have been a fun way to just sort of throw a quick little thing in at the end. Yes, I agree. Uh, so we come to our first live sketch, and I will say, and we've talked about this before, I am definitely a fan of the where is this going setup. Like they, this is, uh, we're at a dinner date uh, with an older black man played by Keenan, and uh, Gal plays the female uh, on the first Bumble date. Uh, and uh, don't really 
really know where it's going. Uh, and then and then uh, the uh, Keenan talks about like, oh, so you don't know what was going on in the 90s. It was like, OK, is he playing Bill Cosby? And then the very fun reveal that it's OJ on a first date. Yeah, this is comparable, I would think, to the sketch from Jimmy Fallon's show last year when uh, you had Jimmy Fallon's character try to sing a song to Cecily. And it turns out that he was the flight attendant who dragged the guy off of the United flight. I, I yep. do like these sort of uh, rug pulling sketches sometimes just because, you you know, we, we see a lot of sketch templates a lot, especially with re- recurring characters where you can sort of see where things are going. This is one where I genuinely did not until that reveal. And then once you sort of think about things, it makes a lot of sense when you have uh, you know, Heidi Gardner's waitress character come in and like be very rude to the two characters. You're wondering what, why that is a thing until you found out that it is OJ Simpson. And once it happened, once the reveal happened, I felt like the sketch did a good job of keeping momentum. I wouldn't say it was uh, riotous. Probably my favorite part was uh, him trying to cut the steak only to realize that they gave him a plastic knife. It's those yes. little things like that that I thought were fun jokes. And I thought that Keenan in particular did it shows why he is an absolute veteran at this and now the longest tenured cast member ever. He just he sells it. I think uh, I wouldn't say this was extremely risky territory uh, because, you know, I think OJ was more controversial about 20 years ago, but I think it's still sort of a hot button issue. But Keenan's performance, I think, really uh, kept this sketch in the good zone instead of possibly going to a grown worthy place. You know, I think you probably give this sketch a little more credit than I do. I thought once it was revealed that it was OJ, I thought once we have that as like, okay, great, I'm with you. I was along for the ride for the setup. I love that this is OJ. I the only thing that actually really made me laugh for the remainder of the sketch was him trying to cut the steak with a plastic knife. The rest of it was a lot of like, yep get it yep got it whereas you talked about in the jimmy fallon sketch it was still built and had a really fun climax so you know for a sketch that i think i've seen online people sort of refer to as the sketch of the night i really question uh whether this is something we'll even remember at the end of the week because i don't know that it paid off so much but still i love that keenan was going there i love that they, i love that they had fun with it and i don't I, I i need to talk to someone backstage at snl i you know poor gal had to read cue cards as and it's so hard for first timers i don't know why the cue card guy wasn't closer to keenan because her eye line was so unbelievably off and i can't really blame her because she has to read off these cue cards and she's not a pro i found it very distracting and i wish the production could have and i don't know what the sort of logistics of the stage are but i so wish they could have found a way to get the cue cards closer to keenan so the eye line looked a little better also randomly noteworthy, I believe this is the first of two sketches in which Gal plays a character named Mina. I have hmm. no idea if this means any sort of continuity between this and the Mice and the Maiden sketch, but I did notice, I think you pointed this out in previous podcasts as well, sometimes names are just recurring, but for some reason, uh, Mina is the name of choice tonight. Interesting, interesting. So let's go to another pre-tape, as you referenced earlier. Uh, the chosen one, we have a, a re, a, the return of Pete Davidson's Chad character that a lot of us will remember was the pool boy in the uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus sketch and then was the, uh, I don't even know what he was, the student uh, in the Benedict, uh, 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 Benedict Cumberbatch sketch. Uh, and if I may take liberally from this sketch, uh, when uh, I think it's Cecily Strong says, if I may put it my own words, I don't see a boy. I see an uh boy. <laughs> this was 
unwatchable. I thought there was one funny joke, but I don't I and and we'll talk about why Pete Davidson isn't getting enough stage time. We get the weekend update. But oh boy, this was uh, rough. And I, I do not like this character. This is the third time we've seen it out. It is not a hat trick. It just doesn't do anything for me. I mean, I think uh, Pete is doing his best, considering that his best is the apathy of the character, and that's the joke. But yeah, there, I might have gotten like one or two giggles out of his responses, but it, it was doing nothing for me. Probably the most noteworthy thing of this sketch was the uh, the design work that went into the costumes specifically for all of the characters within the mythical realm. Um, also noteworthy, the host was not in this sketch, which was a little surprising. Maybe it just wasn't schedules lining up, uh, but I thought that Gal would make at least one sort of appearance, maybe as some sort of warrior princess. I'm not entirely sure, but uh, yeah, p- pretty big miss for me as well. So then we, you know, similar to the OJ sketch, we come to another live sketch. We're out in the desert uh, with uh, with uh, Keenan and Beck Bennett. Uh, and I really did not know where this was going until as soon as they start talking about the mirage that, you know, that that Keenan is seeing a mirage. And I had that thought of of what I think we may even have talked about at the end of the last week, Mike, which is there's something about the writing of SNL. And I don't know if it's just limited options or an all uh, a mostly writing staff but whenever there is a uh, a a woman that is known to be very very attractive we need to do some sketch where she is playing a stereotypical uh, woman in that world and where we see that in this sketch this this reminded me in a way a lot of the beginning of last season when Margot Robbie played Mm -hmm. the sexy librarian that then turns out to be you know a demon but it was just uh, it really even though I thought there was some real fun in the sketch I don't know maybe I'm just getting old i just felt like uh oh we have to have the you know former model be you know the sexy mirage woman uh it just i don't know i'm not saying that i can write a better show but that to me was a little bit of a of a groan but then within that again i will say there was some very fun when we got to the jamba juice uh version of beck bennett's uh uh, uh, uh mirage yeah, it's 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 an interesting game to sort of boil down is that, you know, typically you have mirages about, you know, your greatest fantasies like we see with the gal's character with Keenan, who, by the way, the 90s kid and me loved the fact that Keenan was rocking similar hairdo as he did during his hit show Keenan and Kel. So that made yes. a nostalgic person and me feel good. Uh, but then Beck is sort of having this vision for some reason of the mundane Jamba Juice that was next to work. It, it, the premise sort of doesn't make sense, but I was at least titillated by, you know, what Mikey Day and Kyle Mooney were doing and the fact that for some reason all Beck could imagine was this and Leslie Jones as the angry manager. It it wasn't anything to write home about, but it was interesting. It it was a weird ending to sort of have everything start to blend together, but I guess if you have to end a sketch, better that than just sort of doing an ellipse dot 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 and it just sort of ending there. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say you're right is I it did. You know, it was at least the energy. This is when you're on live TV as much as the, you know, Mikey, uh, you know, and and Kyle Mooney not making a lot of sense and not, you know, not really understanding where comedically we're even going or even having a comedic reason why Beck Bennett is imagining the the Jamba Juice guys. I did love them just yelling that they had a banana mataz with a zinc boost for Mark and then Leslie doing what Leslie does better than anyone 
anyone else in the world. And here it was needed. It was wanted and it was appreciated when she starts walking right to the camera screaming, go get your damn banana mataz. I that just really had us laughing. So that was really fun. Yeah. And I did, even though I was confused by the mirages blending together, I did like the one moment when Gal's character is now in Beck's fantasy. And then the two guys come on and say, no, you can't be behind the counter, ma'am. I just thought yeah. that was, again, calling back to this weird reality that they set up. I thought that I thought that was a nice moment, but uh, I, I think we we found fault with much more both before and later on here. So I don't think this was too much of, a, of an offender overall. Yeah, yeah. So then we have our third pre-tape piece before update. Very rare for SNL. Um, we have our commercial for Safe Flight Auto Glass, where we see that Beck Bennett is the responsible Safe Flight Auto uh, worker who will come to where your car is and replace your windshield. Uh, and then we get into a nice creep zone where uh, we start to realize that he might be hitting on Melissa Villasenor, 17-year-old uh, uh, basketball player. Um I, you know what? This was fun. I like that they were willing to go there. Uh, and I this is very strange that I'm saying this about pedophilia. So please understand the context. I wish that they had gone further. I just I feel like if you are going to do this, do this more and let's let's get even weirder uh, and let's take this to a real 10 kind of ending. Uh, but that said, it was still I still thought it was really fun. This was surprisingly short, too. I mean, they had the one, two, three in terms of the the windshield visits. And I guess it escalated nicely there, though. I think you do make a good point about the fact that it could have gone even further. And I know I, I sang the praises of Beck Bennett last season, but I can't say enough that I do feel like from a male perspective, especially he is one of the strongest uh, pre-taped performers just with his very like humdrum safe life uh, commercial guy. And then it just sort of morphs into this gradually creepy uh, lecherous man i thought there was a, a good performance on beck's part but yeah this was very short quick and to the point but i'm glad we did that rather than possibly lingering on the pedophilia of it all <laughs> it's a good point what you say about beck bennett and the pre-tapes i'm not going to give him the vanessa bayer status yet uh, uh king of pre-tapes but i will say what he does well in pre-tape and maybe less so in live performances is when he's playing a creep that's been caught there is actually he plays a wonderful vulnerable vulnerability to the creepy completely inappropriate guy that makes for sort of an even better cringeworthy moment in these sketches so uh, mm -hmm. good good on him for being so creepy and i say that with love and this is also the first of what three moms that 80s going to play in this episode <laughs> yes exactly exactly uh so we come back and we've got sam smith uh sam smith looks good he sounds good um uh the lighting designer in me was very happy with i like i like it when we've got it's the grand central set we're not just putting up flat walls around the set losing sort of the wonderful color and look of feel of the set i wish sam smith wasn't wearing a shirt the same color as the lighting of the set um but overall uh again i was never a huge sam smith fan but i i thought the this the first song specifically too good at goodbyes was fun and good and he did he did a very good job of it yeah uh i loved his sort of 70s thanksgiving look in his first song with the uh, orange polo and the brown yeah. turtleneck 
blow it. Uh, his second song, Pray, I thought was good, too. I'm a fan of Sam Smith. I do like these sort of like falsetto, croony with gospel background type of music. So this is uh, something that I'm always going to enjoy. And yeah, I, I thought he did a, a good job overall. Good. I think it was a second appearance for Sam Smith on SNL. Yeah, I thought that he and it was interesting that song Pray. I really wondered if there was conversation about I don't I didn't know the song before this. I, I actually liked it. I was I will say I'm not I'm a music critic. I was a little bored with the song at first until we got to the background singers coming in. And then I quite liked it. I thought it was quite good. Um, but I thought in general, uh, I thought that uh, I wonder if there was any conversation around this could have been a song to do at the top of the show Uh in reference to current events instead of bringing on Jason Aldean. So I wonder if there was any weirdness about that. Um, and, and Hey, you know what, beyond that, I just, I, I can never say it enough for any man or woman who uh, is able to lose a lot of weight and keep it off. My hat is off to you. I don't know how you do it. And uh, Sam, you look great. So uh, God bless you. Speaking of current events, shall we get to update? Let's get to weekend update. One thing I didn't mention, we didn't talk about last week. I was uh, I was uh, texting with Josh, maybe one of our uh, in our in our club about this, that uh, interesting to note that if everyone remembers last season, uh, staff writer Katie Rich of SNL uh, was summarily uh, d- uh, dismissed or put on indefinite hiatus because of a, a tweet joke she made about Donald Trump's son. Uh, she is back. She is on the writing staff of Weekend Update. She was on the summer editions. Uh, and now she is she is not a writer of SNL proper, but she is on the weekend update writing staff. So uh, welcome back, Katie Rich. I thought you got a raw deal the first time around. Uh, I'm glad that you're in the building and working on the show. And I don't know if it was her, but I thought that the chunk or chunks relating to gun control were uh, beautiful. I thought this was just really good stuff. Yeah, I think what Jost and Che do best, and I'm glad that they sort of have figured this out as well, is that they've sort of now pioneered this string, if you will. Whereas usually uh, Weekend Update is, I don't know, sort of like popping Tic Tacs or each uh, joke is supposed to sort of come and go. They've now sort of patented this thing to sort of string together four or five jokes in a row and have them each sort of go on their own little rant and Obviously, when you bring up uh, such a hot button issue as gun control, I think they were both had uh, very interesting opinions about it. So, yeah, it it led to some I mean, I feel like they were definitely uh, heating up in terms of the the, the string of jokes that they went on. And, yeah, I think this was this was a good update overall, even outside of that. Uh, I I liked uh, Chase sort of Colin-esque joke about it being National Sarcasm Month uh, (laughs) and then talking about birth control. Chase sort of goes on to this other run about the fact that uh, how surprised he is that women are okay with birth control. You have the joke about how uh, half of the country feels like it's it's okay to have sex with a robot and the other half are women. So even outside of the major issue, I feel like these guys had a couple of good moments in update this week. I agree. I agree. And I think, Stu, with with the current event stuff, what I like about, you know, when these guys, especially when you have something that's now been discussed by, you know, uh, you know, by seven late night shows for four straight nights is when it's less about sort of here's my opinion and more sort of bringing up observations that are funny with the gun control. And and the you know I loved when when Colin, instead of, you know, his sort of take is like, you know, I get I get an alert from my bank if I spend one hundred dollars at Chick-fil-A. Like I just like that kind of joke to me is just so wonderful. It's just sort of a refreshing. It's not just me saying you're 
dumb. I'm right. Everyone else is dumb. It's bringing in interesting, fun ways to sort of look at things that I thought they did really well. Yeah, I, I think it's it's you hit the nail on the head. It's personalization, which I think, yes. again, Jost and Che have done a better job of doing, especially Che. I feel like that's Che's point of view is for him to sort of go on this rant and then say, this is how it relates to me being a terrible person in a way. <laughs> and, and that's what I feel like is the key to some of this stuff that they're doing. So keep at it, guys. Yes. Yeah. So we get to our first uh, our first uh, uh, feature, which is uh, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is back. Um, uh, and, you know, I for years continue to espouse how much I think Kate McKinnon was built for update and all of her character. The first iteration of this was so fun. And this idea of the Ginsburn and the dancing was such, such a breath of fresh air. And I long for the days of that breath of fresh air i thought this was rough um i I don't know it didn't i i was i was fairly bored by it yeah it was rough because we've seen it a bunch of times and not to say that the ginsburns themselves aren't funny but you give this mad libs example all the time if it's something that is literally not changing up in terms of structure for us snl diehards it starts to get old over time not to you know belittle kate's performance whatsoever and she was sort of in the leslie jones spot this episode outside of her uh, appearance in the e pre-tape this is the first time we see kate in this episode uh, but i thought she did a a good job but i agree nothing really to write home about especially throwing it in on uh, what i thought was otherwise a strong weekend update Yeah. And I thought I and to your point, I really think it really and especially in a Mad Lib situation like this, it's all about the burns. It's all about the jokes. It's, you know, when you're mad living it, you got to deliver. And I actually felt bad for Kate because there were a number of times where she would say something and the audience tittered in mild amusement and then the music kicks on and she's got to do this oh what do you smell do you smell something and it's like oh i barely even realized that was a joke and now we're doing a big thing and i i i wonder if us losing our former head writers who used to write a lot of uh, a lot of the material with kate mckinnon has something to do with this but this is it is that is a I, i my heart goes out to kate because when you have to still go to 11 even when you know a joke did not land nearly the way that you had hoped it would land that is live tv at its most brutal Mm -hmm. well i guess speaking of things that uh have have appeared a lot or in this case have not appeared a lot should we talk about uh, pete davidson's appearance here yeah, this was an interesting one because Pete Davidson comes on to talk about some of his own, uh, you know, health and mental health issues. Uh, I had just listened to the Mark Marin WTF episode where they talked. Pete Davidson talked about this extensively. If you've not heard it, I highly recommend it. It's not funny. I mean, he's they're both funny people, but it's a serious interview talking about sort of his struggles with depression and borderline personality syndrome. So I was like, oh, OK, this is going to be interesting. What are we going to do here? And then I love this turn that he's basically just using his own disease as an excuse to try to get more airtime on SNL. I loved it. I thought this was really fun. So on the plus side, as you mentioned before in previous podcasts, uh, this was unlike some of the other Davidson or Leslie Jones appearances. It was not a way to shoehorn in. Hey, this is my new five minutes of stand up. Let me do this on update. Uh, They were speaking only about Pete. uh, And I, I do think that this was a fun way to sort of address 
uh, some of his more serious issues. Uh, he's done this before. I remember that he came on, I think, at the end of last season when he said that he was going to go sober and stop smoking weed. And I do love the self-deprecating nature of this. Uh, specifically, my favorite part was, you know, when he's talking to Colin and Colin says, well, you know, can you try to write some more sketches to get yourself on more? He says, no, my sketches suck because they're all written by a depressed person. Uh, and that, and Lauren yeah. said that. It's just that yeah. fun little uh, cyclical humor that I did enjoy. Uh, I wasn't sure about the ending when the, he hints, makes a random Rex Tillerson joke and hints at another uh, first impression sketch. Maybe it's just because I'm not a big fan of first impressions in general, but I thought this was a fun little personal touch from Pete. Yeah, I liked it. And I liked as they're going out, he just yells to no one in particular. How have I not been fired? I thought that was really fun. So, yeah, update overall, really, really strong. Uh, we come back from update two, uh, another live sketch, uh, the maiden and the mice, um, uh, where we find out that the maiden uh, is, uh, is can't go to the ball because she doesn't have a dress. And her three friends, the mice, have made a dress for her and everyone watching all 6.2 million people who watched this episode knew the joke that was coming that the dress that the mice made for her was in fact going to be a bad dress that said we have the very very predictable reveal and then there's a decent amount of funny in this sketch once mm -hmm. we get to that point yeah uh this was definitely one of those things that started off fine as you said a little predictable but there were some fun jokes thrown in there especially from the mice i will admit when i first saw the sketch and i saw that we're going to have three characters shrunken down via green screen mm -hmm. i was my mind was flashing back to those naughty elves that we've oh. seen oh so many times so i'm glad we yep. didn't go in that sort of direction uh, but i did like a couple of the lines when uh, kate's mouse says you know we only live a year we basically gave you our 20s uh and then you go know, gal's character also named mina saying this isn't an evening gown i think it was 80s character saying well what do you know you're poor yeah. uh, so, th so there were a couple of fun lines in there but yeah the, the premise was a little predictable the 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 uh, performances tried to salvage it a little bit and made it watchable but yeah yeah, I thought, yeah, a couple of funny. I did like the turn when at one point, I think 80s car, when she's complaining about the dress, an 80s character said, we're mice. We're working on a budget of zero dollars. I thought that was a fun thing. So uh, interesting that we now have sort of in this genre of sketch, we now have the default that uh, Beck Bennett will play the shallow Prince Charming who comes in at the end and is sort of a shallow guy. I, I think we could retire that. I think not nothing against Beck Bennett, but I think we've all seen that enough and we get that that's how we almost know all these sketches are going to end we mm -hmm. could do just we could do something different so um but yeah uh, you know what and yet even in its in, in, towards the end when it was feeling a little bit of whatever like you i kept thinking at least it's not naughty elves thank <laughs> god we're not doing naughty elves again yeah, yeah so, so we can think about every sketch as long as it's not naughty elves yes so uh let's get to the whiteboard uh everyone go to the post show recaps page where we can start mapping out on a whiteboard uh, with a five color Venn diagram. Someone, let's see if we can figure out the premise of this next sketch, the spy cam. Um, I, if you did not see this sketch and you asked me to explain it to you, I, I would break out into a cold sweat. Um, I, and so I'm not going to do it here. I, I don't know what this was. And there was funny within it, but I could never even get my head around what are we supposed to be watching and why and how and uh, who were the guys in the van? Was it the government? Was it I, I don't know. I don't know what this was. So, uh, yeah. 
this, I'm try, I'll, I'll try to verbalize at least what I was able to get from it. It seemed like this was some sort of organization of mysterious reputation trying to uh, do some sort of web conference with Gal's character, who I guess was some sort of French spy. She had an eye patch, so I'm assuming she's a spy. Uh, and for it looked like there were two other women in the same building as her. Again, I don't know why they're staked out in a van outside of her building when they could just go in and, and do the face to face chat. Again, many questions with this sketch, uh, but it appears that the interference keeps getting cut out to go to these two women doing weird things on this webcam. Uh, I mean, I'll, I know I keep mentioning that whenever I first see a sketch, I think that it's related to something else. When I saw the stakeout van, I was thinking of the Chris Pine sketch from last season with the uh, stakeout mm-hmm. when they were peeking in on the apartment and just weird things were going on. Weird things were going on here, too, but in a different way. But, you know, if, if Cecily and 80 don't have the girlfriends talk show anymore at least they can sort of let their freak flag fly here in a way yeah and i you know this uh we you know i luke nell had probably his largest role he you know as a supporting character and i don't know anything but i still go by my pet theory that if you are a new featured player that hasn't broke and you have more than five lines in a sketch you wrote the sketch so i have a sneaking suspicion that this was maybe written by luke nell uh maybe a, a version of a sketch that he had done in chicago or something um and yeah you know what everyone had fun with it and i think that I think that 80 and uh, and uh, uh, um, God, Cecily. Free Cecily, thank you. This is what the sketch does to me. I'm so I'm so lost. I can't even remember my favorite. Just players. say Mina. I, yeah, I feel like they were uh, really leaning into it because they knew that uh, it wasn't in the script and it was going to be the performance that was going to save them. So uh, good on them. I, what I what I will say is that actually the 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 most humorous part for me was not even the two quote unquote crazy people in this scene in 80 and Cecily, but the guys in the van slowly coming around to the idea. Cause you think they'd be straight people initially and just sort of be disgusted with everything. But when they were sort of buying into the narrative, that was probably the most enjoyable part of the sketch for me. Yeah. I mean, similar, as you said, similar to last year's sketch in a similar way. I thought, you know, where ultimately they decide to go to the dance party and join them. I thought it had a a similar feel to that. So now moving into our next next sketch here, Rich, were were you surprised that at what, like 1245 at this point, this is when we get our first Wonder Woman reference outside of the monologue? Yeah. And this is where, you know, as I said, you know, early on, I'm like, boy, we have three pre-tapes before update. That is very atypical. And I have a hunch that this was an early sketch. I could have seen monologue E new fall lineup Wonder Woman. And I, you know, and I think that maybe and I don't know anything. I know uh, one of our uh, longtime listeners often goes to the show, sometimes gets into the rehearsal. I'd love to hear what the lineup of the rehearsal was, because I have a hunch this was a pre update sketch that just kind of went along nice enough. And they said, well, let's keep it, but let's put it later in the show, Uh, you know, because it was it was again, I don't know that I can totally get my head around the premise. I mean, obviously it was a bunch of actual lesbians show up to the island where Wonder Woman grew up, which was all women. And they can't believe that none of these women are lesbians. But there was really no payoff to it. It was like, all right, I love that premise. And I think that with Kate, you have a feeling of authenticity around. We're not just going to make very male dominated uh, lesbian jokes that don't ring true. I thought there was a freshness to this sort of 
relationship of these two lesbian friends. But I don't really know where this was going other than the sight gag of watching Gal and Kate McKinnon make out uh, at the end of the sketch. It was pretty one note in that it just seemed like the Amazons would do something. AD and Kate would react. The Amazons would do something. AD and Kate would react. Now, again, I do feel like AD and Kate in particular uh, really brought it in terms of them freaking out about everything that's going on. But yeah, the, the kiss might have been like the little spike of energy that the sketch had, but it really wasn't doing too much for me in the way of premise. No, and I felt like this is one of those writer conundrums of, you know, someone said, you know, the best thing to do as a writer is paint yourself into a into a corner and then get out. And I thought this, the kiss and 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 Gal so committed to it and it was so fun and you so had the energy on the side uh, on your side. But then you needed to spike the ball The 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 kiss is not really the joke. The kiss is actually the setup to a joke. And there was no big payoff here. So. So it was just like, oh, if we're sort of playing the kiss as the joke, then as I used to say, when we would have sketches where Will Ferrell ends up kissing uh, Chris Kattan, I'm like, so the joke is that men kissing is funny because it's so crazy. Like where what what error are we in? And it had a little bit of that, but, you know, not I don't think in, a, in an intentionally, uh, you know, um, you know, disrespectful way, but just didn't have that payoff I was looking for. Um, that said, there are a couple of fun lines I like when they're watching uh, when they're watching i think it was uh melissa vias and you're in heidi gardner wrestle and uh, and kate says it's like we're it's like we're in a porn where the plumber is genuinely here to fix the pipes yeah. i thought there was, so i thought there was definitely some fun with this and uh and i like you know seeing the the the, the female cast sort of step up and, and have some fun together all right rich i tried my best to explain the webcam girls sketch <laughs> i'm gonna put the onus onto you now can you try to explain to me and the audience what the last sketch of the night was about as i said in uh two sketches ago if a new featured player has more than five lines in a sketch the featured player almost certainly wrote the sketch so i have a hunch this was heidi gardner's sketch and uh and this was I actually thought this was there was a fun premise here. So, you know, we're on a talk show and the tough guy comes out to uh, to talk some sense into the kid. And uh, ultimately, then they just decide, well, oh, okay, I guess you're going to marry her. And the 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 tough co- the tough guy, uh, Keenan, is sort of uh, lost here. And and this. What did I say? I think that this could have been a really fun sketch. My problem is there were too many other weird things going Mm -hmm. on around it that by the time we got to the weird thing in the sketch, I was already so disoriented. I didn't know what what where the grounding of the sketch was. So it was just yet another crazy thing. And then. Uh, it sort of fell apart and I just sort of was like, and within that though, there was some fun stuff, but uh, I think it was uh, a little bit too much, too many coats of paint on this one for me. Absolutely. So the first 30 seconds we get introduced to the name Naomi show. Okay. Who's that? Like usually SNL, something most of the time does uh, an already uh, created talk show. So you have to assume that maybe there's some sort of uh, uh, premise behind the show. No, not really. Then we get the lower third say my terrible teen is addicted to straws. Okay, that's a little weird. 
Uh, or are we doing this sort of troubled teen thing that you get from the Maury Povich show on occasion? But then she comes out and she actually is addicted to straws. And the, the, the like most normal thing about this sketch for me was the Star Wars Episode One T-shirt that <laughs> the character of AJ was wearing. It was also one of those sketches that took a long time to get to the actual premise. I mean, I, I would say I didn't time it out, but I'm assuming we were doing stuff for like probably 45 seconds to a full minute before Kenan Thompson's uh, sergeant comes out and then it turns into the premise but then we only spend like 30 seconds in there so i feel like it was not weighted in the proper amount in order to really surround the main onus of the sketch that that's why this sketch was just so so strange to me yeah, I feel like, uh, you know, and obviously I don't know that Heidi wrote the sketch. I, maybe the sketch was, was, you know, this could be anything. It feels like to me that this sketch was written for a male host. You know, if if we go back to the season finale of last year, if Dwayne Johnson is playing the character that Keenan played and you just start the show with the three women on the stage, the girls already chewing the straws. We have a very quick setup that it's, you know, it's, you know, the here's the mom. She's upset with her daughter, who's also here and get ready here's some tough love and the male host of snl comes out let's say dwayne johnson as the tough guy and then and and really leans into more than keenan was able to do and more than keenan keenan's many things he's not a tough guy he's not a big imposing person that you would see on a show like this if you have a dwayne johnson you know play or a chris pine really lean into this character and then you sort of let the rest of it unfold i think this could have been a real really fun turn and a really fun twist. So I think this was a good sketch that was maybe repurposed or reimagined and lost what was great about it in trying to make it fit something that it didn't totally fit in. And I'm looking at the cast right now. I know you made the valid point about how Keenan does not cannot really play one of those, you know, made for TV military guys. But I'm looking at the cast. I don't know who oh, it's can. not. It's not in the cast. I mean, you don't I mean, maybe Mikey Day, I would say, is the closest. But but I also think the problem is if you do this with if if the guest host is not that character, it pulls too much focus away from, you know, and it's also the guest host is also not playing the daughter or like it. I think you just you end up in a really tough spot. So I I, I'm not surprised. I will Mm -hmm. say. All right. Any notes from the good nights? Yeah, a couple of things I want to say. First up, very odd before we get to the good nights, no card for Tom Petty. How odd is I mean, I know we sang one of his iconic songs at the beginning. We had Hugh Hefner uh, last time, but we did not have a card for Tom Petty. Um, and then, uh, yeah, this was an interesting one. You know, if I was ever going to go back to college, I would like to write my doctorate on the uh, SNL goodbyes moat. There was, uh, I mean, seemed like uh, Gal was uh, very uh, liked by the cast, but there was a real moat. Uh, you could see a real distance between uh, her, uh, the musical guests and the uh, and the cast behind them. Uh, and uh, Rob Phelps was just saying on Twitter and my wife and I noticed that uh, he mentioned Colin Joe seemed upset. I would say Colin, Pete, uh, Kyle Mooney. Um, they all seemed sort of upset. There was a weird everybody in the back row was looking at something in the audience specifically. And I don't know what it was. Mm. Um, so there was something very just weird about the 
the whole thing. Uh, and then once we got to the actual good nights, um, I think, you know, once once we finished with the thank yous and we broke into the song, uh, it all seemed very nice. It was, again, a we, there's a weird dynamic. I so wish I could do a whole sort of doctorate on this of how um, like Gal Gadot sort of needed to go up to people and thank them. And then they would get into a long conversation and you could tell there was a real warmth and loving. Uh, but she was sort of uh, stranded up there. And we've seen this before. And I don't think it's because they dislike the host. There's just sometimes a weird vibe. This cast, other than Leslie Jones, always front and center, uh, doesn't really go up to the cast unless it's someone that they know or someone that's done the show a bunch of times. They kind of wait for the host to come up to them. Uh, and there was a very ultimately when you had uh, when uh, Gal said goodnight to uh, Kate McKinnon, Kate sort of grabbed her and was saying something very emphatically in a loving way. And it seemed like a very loving, warm moment. But but a weird vibe on home base to end the show. Are you saying that this episode was not too good at goodbyes? Wait, what? That was a Sam Smith reference. Oh, I dropped it. I dropped the ball. See, this is I'm I'm in that vibe of the home base that I, I screwed up even a, a perfect ending to the <laughs> that, show. That, that's fine, because I feel like uh, it's totally not your fault. But I, I do feel like that's a good representation of this episode overall. Yes, like I yeah. predicted at the beginning of this podcast, I feel like we were able to mine some positives out of stuff. And I think that in these sketches, there always were peppered in a couple of lines or moments or performances that I enjoyed. But if we're going back to my uh, big old power rankings that I usually do every season and thank you to the couple of listeners who have now joined me on this quest to try to uh, objectively rank every episode of SNL this season I would firmly put Miss Godot's episode below Mr. Gosling's Oh, yes. I think that's uh, without a without a doubt. And good on her. I thought she did. It was a very good attempt. Uh, there was a, I didn't mention there was a couple of sketches toward the end. She was also reading off cue cards and it was rough. Uh, not her fault. This is rough. Uh, and, you know, hope she comes back. She did. She did a nice enough job. But yes, the Ryan Gosling episode was a much stronger kickoff to the season. Yes, I'm hoping that by the end of season 43, these two will be the two worst episodes of the season, because uh, I would say two episodes, not the strongest start, but I still have confidence in SNL, especially rich with our guest next week. Yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. I'm a fan of Kamal, a fan of his stand up, fan of him on podcasts, fan of him on Silicon Valley and his movie, The Big Sick. Uh, might be my favorite movie of the year I just mm -hmm. my wife and I just yeah. loved it loved it loved it it was a fantastic movie um, I don't know how much Kumail's persona and ability will lend itself to Saturday Night Live so I am cautiously optimistic but I am very excited to see what they do and Pink is always great so uh, I think that's going to be a really strong show especially live. She's a very strong performer live, especially. But yeah, if, if anything, Kamel's going to bring a fantastic monologue. Uh, I put, you know, all the stand up monologues we had last year between Dave Chappelle and Aziz Ansari. Those were of my favorite monologues of the entire season. And Kamel's a fantastic stand up, as you mentioned before. And I think the big sick also showed that he has some pretty good acting chops to him as yeah. well. So I'm excited to see him hopefully play some really weird characters next week. And for, you know, the big guns to really come out when Camille takes the stage. Yeah, no, I'm very, very looking forward to it. So it should be good. So let's do this again. Please, uh, you know, join us, uh, you know, on Twitter and on the post show recaps page. Uh, your comments. We love talking about this stuff during the week. Would love to hear what you thought. And uh, let's do it again. Mike, anything you want to promote? 
Sure. So you can all follow both of us on Twitter. Rich is at Rich Tech. I am at a Mike Bloom type. If you're not already subscribed to the SNL only feed, we're running sort of a parallel to the main post show recaps feed. Just go to postshowrecaps.com slash SNL iTunes. And of course, we're always appreciative of your ratings and reviews there, especially with the new season coming about. That's going to hopefully bump us up to the top of the charts. And like Rich said, we'd love to hear any feedback you have about the podcast as well as the sketches and yeah check out all the other great stuff that's going on on post show recaps rob is recapping the new star uh, star trek discovery uh curb your enthusiasm has just started up as well they have the uh rewatch of game of thrones going on so there's mr robot i think just put out a big intro podcast in anticipation for the season three premiere so so much stuff going on on post show recaps including rich and i coming back for the third episode in a row for season 43 let's do it thank you guys have a great week and uh and we'll talk to you after next Saturday night live.